and turn to John 13. John 13. Well, things are changing a bit here. Uh, the public ministry of Yeshua has finished. And uh, there were four or five, depending on how they break it down, uh, discourses, lengthy teachings of Yeshua. This is the final one, and it's the longest one. It's five chapters of the book of John, is what Yeshua said at the Last Seder. Now, at the Last Seder, see, I don't call it the Last Supper, because at the Last Seder, it gives you not only a Jewish flair, but an authentic, uh, uh, you know, what, what's going on that night, and what, what are they talking about? And, and so, uh, he, the, now, now think in terms of this, if you knew, if you were in good health, but you knew you were going to die in the next couple of days, and you had a last meeting with those that were the closest to you, what would you talk about? I bet there's stuff you wouldn't talk about that maybe you normally wouldn't. You'll say, that stuff doesn't really make any difference at all. You might want to think about that. But what does make a difference? Well, what he talked about did, from the teacher's point of view. And what's interesting is, I had this a little quote that Yeshua never called himself a teacher. He called himself a lot of things. However, he does it once here. But he said in the context, you call me a teacher. But then he says, and, and you're right. That's right. But you see, we went through the I am's. And there's another one in this chapter, the I am's. And that we got the I am the good shepherd. Well, that that picture, every one of the I am's is a picture of who he is and what he does. In, in that, that picture, the word shepherd is also pastor, by the way, uh, and it's the picture of leading the flock. That's his job. And you go back to Psalm 23, and as David wrote that, it was a, it was a prophetic picture of what the Messiah would do. As so many things that, that David wrote are, in fact, a lot of great parallels. But you know, the picture is that shepherd knows where the green grass is. He knows where the water is. The still water, because they won't drink out of a creek that's rolling along. Isn't that amazing? They won't drink out of really perfectly good water. They won't. It has to be still. But the shepherd knows where that is. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Well, the gun control people. Okay, rod and the staff are weapons. And he has at least two. And, but it comforts the sheep. Okay, weapons can have a good use of self-defense. And uh, the entire picture of war throughout the scriptures is one of self-defense. And sometimes you take the offensive to defend yourself. It's a long story. But nonetheless, that night, in this lengthy discourse, this final one, which I think is the most important things he would say to his disciples, and it's only to them. Only to believers. Okay, this isn't like to the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leadership. No, no, this is only to the called twelve. And a few others. There were a few, a few others there too. Now, if you were going to teach something, what would it be? It would be the most important, you know, the la your last shot as teacher. Your, your last one. And in this chapter, we have the first two very important lessons. However... I want to go back to set the stage for that to the last few verses of chapter uh, 12 <clears throat> because that makes a, a defining separation. 
Okay, we're in chapter 12, verse uh, 42. 12:42. Nevertheless, by the way, there, just before that is the prophecy of Isaiah about hardened hearts. And he's experiencing, experiencing them. I mean, okay, what, as you recall from last week and in the, in the last two weeks, you do recall that, right? Every word. Good. Not you. You weren't here. Others, Aaron does. The, the bottom line is that here's these spectacular miracles. Raising the dead. You know, Lazarus. And it's right in front of them. And they admit in their own conversations, we can't deny these mighty miracles that he does. They admit it. They don't say it's a trick. They don't say, we've been deceived. No, we have to admit he is really doing these mighty miracles. But then it goes on to say, and they still won't believe. We have the same problem. We can do all the right stuff, and some people still won't believe. What do you do? Nothing after that. But we don't know who they are. We did mention last week that we sometimes think we know who they are, because there are certain people we don't like, and surely they're, and they're, and they're obnoxious and so on. Surely those are the ones that are not going to listen. Uh, you don't know that. We're to, we're to present the message to everybody, give everybody an equal chance. It's up to the Holy Spirit and them uh, to make a decision. But it, the bottom line of that is, uh, when presented with, with all the fulfilled prophecies, 300, we're, we're, we're moving into around 300. All the things that he said, all the things that he did, he satisfied all of the prophets' prophecies. He satisfied all the rabbinic interpretations. He, there was no question. He did the whole thing. No one had ever done any of that stuff, ever. He was the first person to claim he was the Messiah. Others came later, but he was the first. You look at the book of Daniel, he, that lines up the timing. Daniel tells us when, Micah, where. I mean, every, everything, he fulfills it all. And the, the chances of, you, you all know, the, you know from Josh Mattel's book, Evidence that, uh, that Demands a Verdict, you all have that, right? Okay, they keep, you need to get that book. They keep having to update it because, you know why? You're getting thicker, why? Because they keep finding new stuff in archaeology to verify what we believe is true. It's really cool. They're not finding stuff that says, well, this is a questionable thing. Finding really important things. And, and evidence that, that, that we can trust our scriptures. But um, uh, these people have all this evidence. In, in the midst of, of the best God can, can do. I mean, raising the dead. They say, you know, uh, and, and the line might, might go like this. Who cares about the truth? Who ca-? You know what? I do. And if, if there's a problem, I want the truth. I want to deal with truth. I don't want to deal with hearsay. I don't want to deal with gossip. I don't want to deal with, uh, um, you know, I want to deal with truth. Whatever it is. And then we'll deal with it. Whatever it is. But they, the truth was before them. I'm the way that truth, he would say to Seder, before them, and they don't care about the truth. Why? Read, read on. Well, I'm glad we don't have any of these guys around today, don't you? Hmm. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, that's the Sanhedrin. Look at this. Many believed in him. Oh, good news, right? Really? But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men 
more than the praise of God. I'm so glad none of those people are with us today. Interesting use of the, of the term. Uh, if you want, I'll go a little deeper next week, not now. But a question could be, well, it says they're believers. It says. Well, I'll read that again. Because the question is going to be, are they saved? All right. I'll tell you what the commentators say. Many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, a little bit of peer pressure. Do you let peer pressure get a hold, get a hold of you? They did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's a big problem right there. Okay, the theologians pretty much agree that these people are not born again. They're not saved. They believe that a set of facts are true. But they have failed to put their faith, their complete faith and trust. That's what salvation is all about. Putting your complete faith and trust in him for your eternity, all right? They didn't do that. In fact, you should have used that words, those words, uh, uh, confess me before men. Paul talked about Romans 10, Romans 10, 9. It's like, well, you know, you can, you can pass the exam. I know you, I got all the, I got all the verses. Have you confessed him? Have you openly declared, I, he is my Messiah. He is my Savior. I have been born anew. Uh, the implications are you need to do that. You need to do that. In the book of Acts, how did they do it? From a Jewish perspective, how was it done? Immersion. That, the picture of immersion was, that was a huge, it was something huge has happened to me, and I'm proclaiming that. And then you gave a testimony, and it was in public, by the way. Okay, it was in public. You gave a testimony. When you have a, a tremendous spiritual awakening, you would go into the mikvah. And the very, you see the book facts. The first thing new believers did was they were immersed. And people come around there, and what are you going to say if, if your neighbor is, is going uh, into the mikvah? It's not a holiday or anything. What happened? Well, he, then he tells you. But what the commentators are saying, the wording in this indicates that it's an intellectual assent to, to facts, not a personal relationship. And it's ba- why weren't they confessing him? Why weren't they confessing him? It's based on fear. Fear. Where did that come from? You all know that one, right? Where fear comes from? Oh, uh, first of all, and that they, they, they were going to be put out of the synagogue. See, the Pharisees ran the synagogues, the Sadducees, Sadducees ran the temple. They would be put out of the synagogue if they confessed him openly. Interestingly, that uh, three years before, that wasn't the case. It is, it's getting there now. In the, in the book of Acts, there's these uh, uh, conflicts. And I love the way that in Paul's ministry, he solves some of that. Like, he, he gets kicked out, put out. That, that word means excommunicated. It's a big deal. It is a really big deal. What that word means is that you could no longer attend a synagogue. All synagogues back then were orthodox. You know, they had the variations. There was the Hellenistic Orthodox synagogue, which is like Reformed today. Okay, but, but nonetheless, they had the varieties back then. They just called them different. But you couldn't go to any synagogue. You're on the you-know-what list. You, you pick the name. You, you, they wouldn't let you in. Likely, they wouldn't let you go to the temple. Because worse than being a Gentile, you know, the court of the Gentiles, you can still come and worship. But just to be the court of the heretics, that doesn't, they don't have that. Seriously, it's not there. And so it's a, it's a big thing. And you know what? 
I hope you're tuning in prophetically to where we live now. Because on our little horizon, as we're looking at, in time the news, it's getting clearer and clearer almost every day, all the things we have taken for granted in our lifetime that we were able to do soon may be gone in the name of, we don't want to offend anybody, you know. Some of these major laws were changed because two people were offended. Well, I'm getting offended pretty easy at this point in time. But, okay, so they're, they're upset. They might, they might be put out of the synagogue, excommunicated, lose their membership, and so on. Well, it happened. And so what did they do, those people? Now they don't have any place to worship. What did they do? Historically, what did they do? They formed their own messianic synagogues. Duh. And they did it. And it's like, oh, we can do that? Yes, you can do that. We see, we see in, the, in, in the book of Acts that it's made up of the cross-section of society. What's wonderful to me is that all the enemies in the Gospels, many, many, many of them become our friends in Acts. They have a change. These people, these nasty, mean people have a change of heart. It's, it gets out of control. It gets uh, way uh, exponential in, in numbers to where there are myriads of Jews, Orthodox Jews, priests, Levites coming to the Lord. The, the ministers. And it was, it was amazing. And so there was that, that change of heart. It took some time. It took some time. But, but the heart is shown. It wasn't just being, being excommunicated because the, you could figure that out in about 20 minutes. But you know what? We can start our own a, a, a new synagogue. It was they loved the praises of men more than the praise of God. That's the core of the whole thing. That's the heart condition. See, and they wouldn't be getting the praise of all, you know. And some of Yeshua's parables talk about that. But they love to toot the horn and everybody, everybody, look how much I'm putting in the offering today. Where are we going to spend all this money? You know, all that centers around how wonderful you are. And then the hero of giving is the widow and her mite. She thought no one was watching. He was watching. He was looking. He said, she's the hero. Because of what's in here, of, of, of what's in the heart. So that's the kind of the transition. It comes down to this. The facts are in. They don't want to, get, they don't want to lose their positions. All right? Then Yeshua goes on in verse 47, 48, and 49, and 50 to basically say, I have not come this time to judge you. I've come this time to bring you salvation. I'm offering you a free gift. And as we see, as the evening goes on, he'll say, but next time, I'm coming to judge. But just in case you want to know, what is the basis of my judgment? Well, when you read these last few verses, we read them uh, last week, the basis of the judgment, you are judged according to his word. You are judged according to this. And you see, this all wasn't written yet when he was here. But you're judged according to his word, the written word and his spoken word, which became written. That is the standard of judgment right there. That is the standard of judgment. I'm going to give you a little teaser for next week. I'm going to, something's going to happen here next week that is abs, absolutely unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. What? I can't tell you. You have to come. <clears throat> Oh, no, well, I'll just give you a hint. I'll, I'll give you a hint. Um, on the news last, uh, uh, about two weeks ago, 
I guess the New Year, all the New Year's stuff every year. They were interviewing uh, these professors, PhDs of communication in all of our famous uh, universities. And so one of the questions was this. They said, what is the most evil invention of mankind in all of history? You know what they said? The cell phone. <laughs> they did. They said the cell phone. And they went down the list of all, uh, you know, uh, there's little Facebook problems every now and then. I have a Facebook problem. I'll tell you about that next week. You know, it's not that I don't know how to do it. I, there's actually a problem which I want to share with you. I'm not going to name names. No, it's not, it's not like that. But, uh, okay, what the professor said, he said, I used to go to my office at 7 in the morning and open the windows and my day started. All my stuff was there, did my work. And at 5, I would leave and close my door. He says, but my office goes with me now in this little phone. Anybody can find me and talk to me anytime they want. And what happens is if you don't answer the call, what do they, what do, they do? They're mad. Why didn't you answer my call? My call is important. Well, having dinner with my wife is pretty important, I'd say. And then all the files and books. Where are they now? Oh, he, in his laptop. He takes out the door with him. So in, in essence, you are working how many hours a day now? How many hours a day does your employer expect you to work? And the, the communications guy said, that's evil. He says, I'm at work all the time. So you got to figure that out and how to balance that. In all seriousness, because sometimes you're expected, you get paid according to the job you do, and they expect you to work 16, 18, 20 hours a day. Uh-huh. Well, what does God say about that? He has a calendar for us. He has a, he has a calendar. How in the world did I get on that subject? Um, Okay, the good news is about the cell phone is how, uh, how many versions of the Bible are on your, your phone? You can, this little thing like this, you can take the scriptures with you everywhere you go. And when you're waiting for the doctor or something and they said it's a 10 o'clock appointment and you've been there for two hours, you can be reading, having a Bible study. So that's the good part. So you have to balance, you, you, you balance it out. So in essence, what these people were doing, they wanted the praises of men. You know, ta-da, ta-da, ta-da. How do you get the praises of God? If that's what you want, how do you do it? Well, that was his first couple of lessons at, at the last Seder. So we make that transition into chapter 13, from chapter 12. And, uh, oh, the question was, are those guys saved? And most of the scholars say because of the wording, no. So take it up with them. I, you know, I, when it comes to me, I don't want to take any chances. I want to know that I am. Okay, so I want to do, I want to do the right stuff. Do the right, that, the, the right thing. Chapter 13. Let's look at the first few verses. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Yeshua knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended... The devil, already, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Yeshua, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garment, took a towel and girded himself. And you know the rest of the story. We discussed this every year at the Seder. But let's talk about the mistakes in the Bible at this point. And we, oh, I'm glad you're paying attention, good. Um, we, part of what I want to do always is when I'm teaching 
is it teaches exactly what it says. And then you can make a judgment on doing it or not, but you need to know what it says in order to, to, to do it. When there's errors in translation, we point them out in, in every, every place that, that we know. We have a huge one right here. Let, let's take a look. And when you hear the right thing, you go, oh, that should have been easy. I don't know why they did it this way. Before the Feast of the Passover, when Yeshua knew that his hour had come, do you remember all the times he said, my hour has not yet come? Remember that? My, uh, now it's come. He's, now he says, my hour has come. That meant the time for his death. That, that, so here we are, on the brink. That he should depart from this world of the Father... Listen to this. Having, what if you heard this? Having loved his own who were in the world. Where did you hear that? John chapter 1. Remember that? that? The book of John starts with, with that. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Well, having loved his own. These are the Jewish people. He never stopped loving them. Okay? He never stopped loving them. And he continues to, to love them. Having loved his own in the world, he loved them to the end. The end. Well, this, what does that mean? Remember in Romans 10, this controversial verse where people get on us all the time, where they say, you know, I can prove to you right now that Torah is not for today. That it's over, it's done with, it's, it's it. Look at here. Um, uh, it says that, that the Messiah is the end of Torah. The end of the law. The end of the law. And, the, and in our English translations, it says that. But the word end doesn't mean end. And this, it means the same thing here. The word end means goal. The goal of Torah is Yeshua. Yeshua the Torah points us to him. It's, not, it's, not, it's still quite, quite alive in doing its job. And, and what this is saying was that he has reached his goal. His goal was to present himself as Messiah on, on the, the triumphal entry. The people were waiting the, the Lulavim, welcoming him as Messiah and as king. They were doing, doing things the right way. Okay, we get, they got the right person, but he came to die this time. And in that welcoming, uh, they were ex- expressing their hearts to him, and he was making the offering for sin within uh, just a few days. But at that point in time... Uh, Basically, he's saying, I have accomplished my goal. And, this, and so his public ministry is finished. Uh, he's teaching a few last things, very important to his disciples. And then he wouldn't say it is finished until at his point of death on the cross, which is something that was said at every Seder at the conclusion. Well, okay, so he accomplished his goal. And here we are. Now think of the disciples. They're not sure what all this means at this point. Verse 2, and supper being ended. And then it goes on to share. Wait a minute, it's all over? That's the bad verse, the bad word, the incorrect word. See, what I want you to do in the next uh, three weeks, as we're studying the last Seder from the book of John, is read it in the other gospel accounts. Because you have to to read all four gospels to get the whole story. Because I'll be referring to things, and and today you'll say, "Well, well, he doesn't say that here. Nobody does say it. And you can, you can sort the order out. At our Seder, we put it in, in that order, that, of what you have in the Gospels. Now, this is a blatant translation error. It, it it's actually says, supper having begun. 
which is the opposite of what they translated it. So it's not the end of the supper, it's the beginning of the supper. And uh, uh, so that becomes important because you'll say, well, wait a minute, we have the foot washing and now it's, no, everything's okay except that word puts a point in time that, that shouldn't be there. So this is toward the beginning of the Seder. This is called the Upper Room Discourse, his last and most important teaching. Now let's see what he actually does. Because at the Seder, we, only, we're, we have a time problem. You get part of the story. Okay, Satan, by the way, there's an uninvited guest at this dinner. Satan himself, uninvited guest. He puts it into the heart of Judas. His heart was open. And when, this, when it's open for evil, it's gonna, the, the devil will fill that void. It's in Judas's heart to betray him. Yeshua, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going to God, rose from supper, get the picture, laid aside his garments, get the picture, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured into, uh, water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, you are washing my feet? Yeshua answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, <laughs> Peter has, for three and a half years, Peter's been telling the Lord what to do. And every place he's wrong, and he does it again. And he'll do it again at the same, he does it the second time, a little bit later. He says, uh, <laughs> Lord, you shall never wash my feet. Okay, she was doing it. And Peter says, you will never, you can't, you will not do this. You will not do this. And Yeshua said to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Peter, being the <laughs> person he is, says, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. In other words, the whole mikvah, the whole thing. Okay, the picture of what's happening. As we say at our Seder, at this point in time, there's a ceremonial hand washing where the master of the Seder stands, uh, there's a towel, a, a basin of water, and it's, you see this today in, 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 in hotels uh, in Jerusalem, in Orthodox synagogues and so on. You see the, a basin of water, there's a ceremonial. They've already, they've already washed before they come, all right? And, but there's a ceremonial, yeah, there's special cups. You pour this way and pour, and pour that way. And, and you dip your hands in and do this. And you, a little bit of water drips. It's ceremonial. It has to do with, with a picture of your heart's expressing your heart's intention. And a lot of this dinner has to do with expressing the heart's intention. And this first picture is, is, is an amazing one. And so the master of the Seder, would, would, only he would do this. He would dip his fingers into the bowl, do this, wipe it, and then, and then proceed. Well, as we say at our Seder that night, Surprise, he does something quite a bit different. And what's interesting is there's something here you probably don't know that he does. Because your picture of, of him doing this is this. He goes over to the basin and there's a towel and he does this. Like this. He takes a towel and he wipes his, his hands and, and then goes on. That's not exactly what he did. Okay. 
You see, who does this? Who washes feet? Okay, before you come, you're, you bathe. You come into a Seder. You come clean in your best clothes. You come clean. When you come to the house, you've walked in sandals. And when you come, a servant, a servant will wash the dust off of your feet. They will get on their knees and greet you and welcome you. And as you come into the room, they wash your feet. This is the job of a servant. How many of you, this, this is, I don't know if I should do this. How many of you are watching Downton Abbey? Come on, fess up. Oh, okay, fess up, fess up, okay. Downton Abbey. See, I, we have to close really because I have to go home to, to, to watch it. Okay. Now, in Downton Abbey, it's really easy to tell who the servants are. How do you tell who they are? You are smart. Say that again. They have uniforms. They, there's upstairs and downstairs, and they're downstairs. And they have their place, and you know, it's upstairs, downstairs. And the, they love the praises of men more than the praises of God. Uh, Yeshua, according to the wording here, didn't just pick up a towel. He put the uniform on. Now look at, this is, the, this is his last major teaching. In other words, I'm leaving and turning everything over to you guys. You need to know this. Better than that, you need to do this, is what he's saying. You need to do this. He put the uniform of the servant on, and then did this, and then took the towel, and so on. Wow. It wasn't just talk. You know, you really should be a servant. Uh, no, he said, you need to do what a servant does, and you need to look like one, actually. Yeah, but the world around us, I, see, and what we say at the Seder is, Yeshua was contrasting his kingdom one of his last kingdom teachings, because in, chapter, in the next chapter he talks about in his father's house or mansions that he's preparing to be with us in his kingdom and so on. So the uh, uh, comparison of the kingdoms of this world and his kingdom, and at the beginning of his ministry, one of the temptations was what from Satan? I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. All you have to do is worship me. Well, the kingdoms of this world. How do you judge if you're seen outwardly as great in the kingdoms of this world. In overall history, it's, it's if you have servants, and how many you have. I mean, Downton Abbey's quite a house, isn't it? Did you watch it? You watch, okay. It's a nice house. I mean, I mean, but then you have to have servants to have that kind of a house. And they have uniforms. When you see one, you know. What Yeshua is saying was, people need to look at you and know that you're a servant. Does that mean you are uniform? No, nothing to do with what, how you're dressed. See, some people say, well, see, you need bigger seats. No, not, it's not how you, you are dressed. It's what's in your heart. This whole picture is a heart attitude of serving, beginning with each other. He, he's not talking at this point about, you know, we go out in the highways and byways and we, we are servant. Oh, he's talking about in-house. In-house, because in-house is a problem. Well, I'm glad it's over, aren't you? None of that problem today. The in-house problem was also Judas. It wasn't the Pharisees. And it wasn't the Sanhedrin. It was Judas, one of his own. Little problem in-house. Those are the worst kind. The very worst kind. Okay, so now you get the picture of him putting on the uniform and then doing the work. Okay, with that as a background, let's take a look at what he said. 
Okay, Peter, you know, he's, he's all or nothing. First time, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. That, that means mikvah. And the Lord said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, meaning Judas, for you, he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again. In other words, he changes again and sits down. Now, now th- think of that. Have you, how many of you are willing to admit this, have ever been to a foot washing ceremony? How many of you, oh, okay, good, good hands. I got to tell you, it's a humbling experience to have somebody wash your feet. It's humbling. And they were saying, wait a minute, you're the Messiah? You're, you're the king. And, and you are bowing down on your knees in front of us and washing our feet? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hang on. Get that picture. It gets better. Verse 12. Uh, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, sat down again, now he's saying, okay, did you get it? Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. So you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. It's a picture, an example, that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. There's the, there's the, that's the loving the praises of men stuff again. Nor is he who is sent greater than he, uh, than he who sent him. If you know these things, now becomes the accountability for his teachings. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do these things. He's saying there it's a big thing. You need to do what you know. Because in Jewish theology, you don't know it until you do it. It's not a matter of passing the exam. It's doing the exam. Then you've got it. Then you understand it. Then you get it. He says, I don't want you to talk about being a servant. I need you to do it. I did it. I want you to do it. Did I miss something here? Maybe I did. Maybe for 50 years I missed something here. Verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Okay. I mean, does that mean, does that mean what I think? For I've given you an example. Okay, he's our example. By the way, he's called the perfect example, Mofet in Hebrew. The perfect example, that's him. I've given you an example. In other words, I acted this out in a drama. I want you to do what I just did. I just did it. Didn't talk about it, I did it. That you should do, not talk, do as I have done to you. That can't be what, there's, what's the interpreter, how do you interpret this? Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, okay, great picture, Lord, great picture of being a servant. Blessed are you when you do them. We are accountable to him to do what we know. So you're accountable for education. When you have a Bible study and you learn something, 
He holds you accountable to do. That's something that you've learned. And in Jewish theology, you, don't, you have not learned it until you do it. And he said, he's the example. We're to follow his example. Man, how do you interpret that, that we don't wash feet here? I need some interpretation on this, because that sounds like somebody here is going to grab that verse and tell me that Yeshua is saying that we should be doing foot washing here. That's right. We should be. That's what it says. And we're going to. Now, if I were to say right now that there's some servants out in the kitchen who are about to bring in some bowls of water and towels, and I'm going to come up to the front, and we're going to wash your feet, would that make you feel a little nervous, maybe? I think some would. Why? You better think of the why on that. Why would that bother me that I'm doing exactly, precisely the words of Yeshua? Some of the most important words he's ever said, that somebody wants me to come up right now with this bowl of water and a towel and wash, have my feet washed? <laughs> some, I know some of you feel uncomfortable. And inside of you right now, you're hoping I don't do that. I know that. That's true. So, knowing those things, then um, I'll tell you a story. Uh, we are soon, the date is yet to be announced, we're going to have a, a prayer meeting at the Mactoffs and foot washing. And if you don't want to come, you don't have to come. If you don't feel comfortable, that's okay. We're, going to talk, we're not going to ambush you. But we're, but we're going to do what he said. Because later I'll show you the overall larger picture when it talks about do this in remembrance of me. You know, we're a ways away from that. That statement is not the five-minute little piece of bread and a little, little bit of grape juice. Do this in remembrance of me. No, it's the entire Seder that is done in remembrance of him and the foot washing. Because that's the, the opening part is we're reminded that he has called us to be a servant. Mark chapter 10. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, a ransom for many. We're called to serve. So much for the praises of men. Some of the times where you get your leaders, is, uh, they're, they're janitors at the present time. Well, who in our congregation are the uh, servants? Well, if you want to know who they are, come early. See who's setting all this stuff up. If you want to know who they are, stay late. See who's cleaning up. It's really fun to come in just before we start, you know, and things are going, we have dancing and singing, and then we have an own egg, and then everybody goes home or wherever you go. Somebody sets it up. Somebody cleans it up. They're servants. We've never told any of them to do it. They just do it. I've never said to the people set up another thing. I want you to come early. They just do it because they want to. They are servants. This is an expression of the heart. It's also the same word for worship, by the way. Well, you mean that person that dresses like that? You mean that, that maid outfit that, that's plain two colors of gray? And that serving, that's the same word as worship in Scripture. The word serve. To serve God is to worship him. Uh, but there's more. Okay, there's more. But I'm dead serious on the foot washing. And we're going to tell you ahead of time. That, that's, on that night at the Macrops at the prayer time, we're going to have foot washing. If you don't feel comfortable, don't come that night. Um, in time past, 
See, a youth pastor can get away with a lot of stuff because teens are extremely forgiving. All right? When I was a youth pastor, I did this, only I really had people come in with bowls of water and towels. And it was like their eyes were getting like this big. It's like, oh, oh. I did ambush them. My youth pastor can eat with the kids. They don't care. It's good. And I'll tell you, there was moving of hearts when certain people where there was anger at each other and enmity, they would pick up the bowl and go to that person and get on their knees in front of them. You just hold them, hold their feet. When someone's holding your feet and praying for you, ah, oh. and there was these tears of reconciliation. And at the end of that meeting, these kids loved each other. And they learned, they learned the meaning of being a servant and that they can do it. And they didn't get mad at me because I ambushed them. But you see, that, that night, Yeshua did say some new things. And that first picture is nice, but he took that and said, this is who you are to be. You are to be like me, he said. You know, we use the word messianic. It means Messiah-like. But how many messianics are there that don't have a clue what Yeshua taught? Mm. How can you say you're this and you don't know what he said so then you can do what he said? And then the group that knows what he said but then don't, doesn't do what he said. Well, what, which category are they in? And it's kind of shaky if you ask me. You know, he talked about the people that, uh, that, that hear it, uh, know it, and do it. They're okay. So that's the category I want to be in and that's the one I want. He, 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 he wants you to be in that category. Well, there's more to this. Okay, he's saying, I want you to be a servant. Then, see, this, after that, oh, he washed Judas' feet. Who, and he knew who would betray him, and he still washed his feet anyway. Talk about an act of love. You know, the, the greatest act of betrayal, just before that, was shown a great act of love. Because Yeshua could have dismissed him earlier, and he didn't. Get the picture before we move on. The Lord of heaven, the Lord of all, didn't think he was above kneeling down in front of his friends, putting on the uniform of a servant and washing their feet. Remember that. Verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. There are prophecies about the betrayal, even the 30 pieces of silver. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, that you believe that I am. The word he is not there. Another I am. So we, you think we have them all? There's, there's more. He said, just so you'll know, I am. <laughs> he does it again, again. Most surely I say to you, he who receives whomever I send, receives me. He who receives me, receives him who sent me. That whole sending concept is going to be throughout the Seder and on into the Great Commission. But there's something greater than being sent. Way greater. How can that be? Yeshua had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. 
Now, keep in mind, Matthew 26, that's why you have to read all four Gospels. This is the second time at the Seder he said that. He said he's troubled in spirit. In a few minutes, uh, you will see Judas leave, and when he leaves, that trouble is lifted. There's an uninvited guest here, inside of Judas. The first time, as you remember our seders, we, 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 do the, we act out this part. When something, the, the carpus is being passed around, you pass uh, to the left, it's going around the room, to one bowl. He said, as it's going, he says, one of you will, will betray me. It's like, who is it? And they all ask, who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord? And I just love Peter, because throughout the evening, he keeps getting, he, he goes deep. He says, Lord... Just want you to know something. Not that you don't know this, but you know th- these others, you know over here, these others, they might betray you. Can you imagine how that's making them feel? But Lord, not me. I will never betray you. Just be careful. Just, just be careful. But that night when they said, "Who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord?" He said, "The one who dipped into the bowl with me." is the one who will betray me. Well, double bowl. Yeah, I do. This will work. Okay, here's the bowl. Okay, you shoot it, got up. And what did he do? He took the bowl of, he took, took the bowl of uh, salt water and the carpet. And what, what did he say? What did he do? What are the first words? The blessing. For those of you who are new, it's the same blessing we say today is what he said. Then, we know the words. He said the blessing. He took the carpus, the, 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 the vegetable. He dips it into the salt water and passes it to the left. It goes around the room. Everybody dipped into the same bowl. The one who dips his hand with me into the bowl with me is the one who will betray me. Everybody dipped in the same bowl. Remember? You, you know this. You've heard it 8,000 times. Only one person dipped with him. He says the blessing. Baruch Atal and I turns to the left, dips with this person sitting on the left. Only the two of them dip at the same time. Judas is sitting on the left. That's the seat of honor. Isn't that amazing how the Lord did everything he could to show Judas love? Gave him the seat of honor that night. Special place. So they, they dip. It was some ambiguity because, well, we all dip in the same bowl. I don't want to jump to conclusions here. Well, it's going to change. It gets really clear now. I'm not going to make it to my... The more, what's more important than the Great Commission? Okay, that will be uh, next week. One of you will betray me. Who is the Lord? Who is it? Who is it? Then the disciples looked at one another. It must be you. It must be you. It must be you. I knew it was you. Okay. Perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Yeshua's breast one of his disciples. Remember, they're, they're leaning on pillows to the left. We, we, we know that. One of his disciples, whom Yeshua loved. This is John that wrote the book of John. Okay? Now, when you lean on the left like that, and that puts your head back up against his chest, that means you're sitting to the right, which is the seat of the youngest, the one who would ask the four questions. So John is the youngest. All right? And you will see he lives the longest, but the youngest. Also a place of honor, because they can ask questions and interact and do all kinds of things. So he's, his head is right here. Judas, Yeshua, John.
They looked at one another perplexed. Now there was leaning on Yeshua's breast, one of his disciples whom he loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him, to John, right here. He didn't motion to Yeshua this time, to John. Find out who it is. So leaning back on Yeshua's breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? The answer is, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. Okay, the picture. They're leaning on pillows. They don't sit in chairs like this. Judas is on the left. Yeshua, the master of the Seder. John's to the right, leaning down so his head would be right here. If I was on the floor, you could, you could see it better, like this. Peter says, John, ask him who it is. So that conversation is between Peter and John. He's not talking to everybody. So John quietly, this is not an announcement, John quietly leans up and simply says, Lord, who is it? So the answer is just between the two of them, very soft. It's not, I have an announcement to make. I can tell you right now who it is. No, it was very soft. But what does he say? Is this ambiguous or, again or not? It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. Why don't you just say it's Judas? Having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Yeshua said to him, what you do, do quickly. Okay, the picture is this. Who is it? John leads up. Who is it, Lord? It's just the one. What's the wording? The one. The piece of bread after I dipped it. Dipped it. By the way, the actual translation is matzah. Okay. He, so, again, What's he dipping? What, what, what is it this time? It's not salt water. Horseradish. Really strong horseradish. He takes the matzah, dips into the horseradish. We have the, we have the blessing. Baruch and I, okay? Only this time he doesn't pass the bowl. He gives it to Judas. Puts it right in his mouth. That's what they did. In the picture of serving, there, there was that action. And with all that big glob of horseradish, that brought him to tears. Not because he was sorry for his act, all right? He wasn't sorry, but it was tears of the spicy horseradish. But then Yeshua says to him, and this wasn't the announcement to everybody. He, he, he looks right at, at uh, Judas. What you do, he, the piece of bread. Brukat Adonai, take the bread, puts it in his mouth. What you do, do quickly. Stands up, out the door. Hang on, we're almost done. No one at the table knew for what reason he said that to him. Some thought, well, Judas has the money box. Yeshua said to him, buy these things that are needed for the feast, or that we should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, it should say matzah, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Well, again, the commentators agree on, why is John saying that? How many times are satyrs at night? They're always at night, unless we're doing a demo. You have to light the candles. Okay, you, you have, why would John say, and it was night? And the commentators are saying, because the usage of that phrase, okay? Remember in the book of John, John is always contrasting things, darkness and light. How many times does Yeshua say, I am the light of the world? Several times. He that follows me shall not, not abide in darkness. And that word for darkness is the darkness that Satan brings. Special kind of darkness. John was noticing that kind of darkness. This was the ultimate betrayal. 
and, and putting the bread into his mouth, do what you do quickly. He opened the door, it, it's night, every, 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 it's eight o'clock, whatever time it is, but it was a different kind of darkness. Judas was going into a unique darkness from which he would never return. When you leave the presence of the Lord, what's the way to use darkness? Because he's the light. He's the shepherd. Does it ring a bell with anybody of saying, uh-oh, we've got a little problem here? If this is a Seder, and if it's Passover, where are they going to buy bread? Anybody thought of that? Ah. So then the controversy begins. Well, what is it really? Is it the Seder? Is it this? Is it that? If you look at the history of the time, um, I think it's either the, the 13th or the 14th of Nisan. I'll check this out. One of the nights, everything was closed. The other night, everything was open 24 hours to, to get stuff for your Seder because there were no fridges, okay? So they had a designated day during Passover week that all the stores where you buy your stuff for Passover would be open. So that does fit. They didn't have to do that because they had the stuff they needed. But it's not out of the ordinary to have stores open on one of those nights. And remember the, the, the controversy on which night is this? We're not going to solve that totally. Uh, there's three opinions that all can be based on scripture. So now, who does he have in the room with him? The real disciples. And now he says, you know, if I were to ask you this question, are you Torah observant? You say, yes. And, right, and rightly so. He says, I have another commandment for you. And this, it's a new one, a new commandment. A new commandment? We need one more, really? Yeah, it's the most important of them all. More important than the Great Commission of being sent? Yes, more important than being sent. The new commandment has to do with love. Loving each other. I'm going to stop here, but I'll just say one thing as the intro for, for next week. Wait a minute, that's not a new commandment. Levit Leviticus 19. Well, first of all, the whole Shema, if you include Leviticus 19... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here it is, and Le Leviticus 19. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. We already have it. Excuse me. The commandment is love one another the way that I love, not the way you love. Do you see that difference? It's huge. So that's our subject next week. Loving as he loves, not loving as we love. Because he modified that. Love your neighbor as you love yourself? No. The commandment is love your neighbor as he loves them. That's hard. Uh -huh. Let's all stand. It is hard. Because some of us are uh, hard to love. And if you don't like yourself, and if I, if I don't like myself, and I love you the way I love me, that's not going to do you any favors. If I think I'm a worthless piece of, fill in the blank, okay, yeah, well, if I think that about me, then if I love you like that, guess what? You got it. Okay. Lord, I pray that as we look at these teachings at the last Seder, these next five chapters, that each one would come to life in a deeper way. Words we've heard 
so many times, yet has, have a tremendous depth of meaning to them. And all of these describe what you want us to be and what you want us to do. And Lord, as we just saw that one where you clearly say we're to, we're to do foot washing, yet we have not done it. Lord, I pray that we would see the other things that we are to be doing and gladly do them because you've given us the instruction. Some of us are victims of, of, of the history of our denomination and we do what they did. Lord, I pray that we would erase all that, look at your word and do what you tell us to do the way you tell us to do it for the reasons that you tell us to do it. And, and you are the standard, not somebody else or as some other tradition, but that we would not be pleasers of men but our goal is to please you. And Lord, forgive us as, as we fall short, but I thank you that that grace and that your love is there. And you wouldn't tell us to do something that's impossible. It is possible that we love each other the way that you love. Lord, teach us how to do that. In Yeshua's name. Amen.